Come on up. I'm introducing myself. Uh, no. Um, well, it's good to, to have you. This is um, Pentecost Sunday in the church. and Oh, yes, you do. He was going to. Am I on? Yes. He was just going to have me stand here without a mic. <laughs> yes. Smile. Just, just smile and look beautiful. Ed has um, threatened to take the mic away from me a couple times, yes. but that's another story. <laughs> Many believe that Pentecost was the birthplace of the church, that this is when it all began, and the church began to come alive on this day. And we actually have a, a beautiful quilt here that was made uh, by Patty, one of our wonderful artists in our community. And uh, this was made for all of us to represent Pentecost. So really, this is a celebration. We ought to be lighting candles today. It's, uh, it's really a birthday party of the church. And, and you can see these wonderful images. And as she kind of shared with me, kind of the, the light coming down from heaven after Jesus' ascension. He sent the Holy Spirit. And, and the light comes to us. And in the bottom, you see these darker colors, this fire that, that kind of lights up in us and the power of the Holy Spirit. And anyway, it's beautiful. And so, yes, thank you, Patty, for that. And in this kind of dynamic, wonderful thing that happens uh, at Pentecost, it's an explosion that takes place in the world. And so that is particularly one of the reasons that I was chosen to speak, because you always want your most dynamic, most um, outgoing voice uh, to be a part of this, right? And so that's, that's mainly why I'm here. To introduce Janice, yeah, that's right, that's right, thank you very much. What, what do you think about when you think about the word Pentecost? If you think about anything, most Christians attach that word today, at least since the early 1900s, attach that to Pentecostalism and that branch of the church that, that has come alive in the last hundred or so years and believes in the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and, and prophecies and, and the power of prayer and healing and all these wonderful things. And uh, so I'm curious on what your first experience, I remember my first experience, I was raised in the Baptist church and so we didn't talk about this too much. But uh, one summer, I think I was 14, we were going to go look at some other churches. Our Baptist Youth Fellowship was going to go to some other churches, and we went to a, a Pentecostal church. And, and at that time, I was, uh, again, just a young teenager. We sat in the back, and the main thing that I remember is I really couldn't see the stage because there was a whole row of ladies in front of me that had their hairs up in a bun that was really tall and long dresses. And, and I couldn't really see the platform. I I knew there was a lot of stuff going on up there, um, but I had no idea what was actually happening. And so, the, uh, so that was my experience. I don't know what your experience is. Um, certainly, we talk about this in 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about the gifts of the Spirit and, and even lively worship. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that was, that first song we had. That was, that was some people thought the speakers were broken, you know, we thought, um, and uh, the, just lively worship and even raising our hands oftentimes is attributed to Pentecostal or charismatic expressions. And it certainly is all of those things and much, much more. And as we're going to kind of take a peek at this, and by the way, this is, a, this is a challenging topic. This has been one of the topics in the last many years that has caused confusion in the church. 
that has caused even some splits and some divisions that have taken place. And so, so we're going to try to unpack this. We could have gone many, many different directions today, and we're going to try to, we, we picked a direction. And so we're going to, we're going to share and look at the scripture and what, we, what is this all about? And we're going to try to take a, a peek at even what was the origins of this and, and what's the big picture and the expression of Pentecost and what does it mean uh, in our lives today? Actually, Pentecost began, began, began long before the Pentecost that we think about in Acts. Uh, Pentecost, we, are, we read about in Exodus, and it's a part of the great story of God and the story of God and his children. It was one of the festivals that God commanded the children of Israel to observe. Pentecost means 50, and it was 50 days after the Passover that Pentecost was celebrated. At that time in the Jewish culture, it was an agricultural festival. It was a celebration. It was also called the Feast of Weeks, and it's when the people brought the first of their harvest to the temple, and they celebrated, and they asked God to bless the rest of the harvest. And so that's what Pentecost was originally. If you look at Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. God called the children of Israel to these three pilgrimage fe- uh, festivals each year. Now, you remember the, the Passover. The Passover was the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. And that was the day that commemorated when the death angel passed through the camp and the children of Israel's firstborn children were spared while the other firstborn in the land were killed. Uh, Pentecost is the festival of weeks. And then, and then there was the Festival of Tabernacles at the end of the harvest. It's also called the Festival of Booths. And this festival was at the end to thank God for the harvest that he had brought to his people. And it was called the Festival of Booths because the people would actually stay in tents. And it was to remember everything that God had done for the children of Israel when they were walking through the wilderness. Now Moses historically has been ascribed to be the author uh, of Deuteronomy of this particular section. And he said, that all of your men must come to these festivals, these pilgrimages. Now, we live in the time of what I would call the why. If people tell you you must do something today, we usually go, why? We don't like that. We don't like people to tell us what to do. We go, why? Why do we do that? Why should I do that? We question a lot. We usually push back at things quite a bit. Now, if you've been with us here at Sanctuary for a while, you know that we're not uncomfortable with whys. As a matter of fact, we think that sometimes the questioning of things leads us into deeper understanding. We get some response. We even can question God or even talk to one another. Why, why is this? And we think that that can be helpful. But many times at the end of our whys, we also have to get comfortable with mystery. When we're told to do certain kinds of things, sometimes we look at the scripture and we try to understand what does that mean and why. And sometimes we're left with, I don't exactly know. And yet there's still something in the scripture that is saying, do this. Some of you wonder, why do we take communion every Sunday? Why do do we sing? Why Why do we pray? What does prayer actually do? Why are we instructed in the scripture to give? We ask these questions. And so, so as we look at this, we're looking at uh, they were instructed to, to show up at these festivals. 
Why? Is it that God knew that there was something formative about these festivals, about stopping and and responding in the way that uh, was uh, described in these festivals, that somehow that formed us. We may not know exactly why or what it actually does, but maybe just God is a little smarter than we are and uh, that there's reasons behind that. So the children of Israel were called to stop what they were doing and discipline themselves to celebrate. If you've ever worked on a farm or you've been around some agricultural area, you know that it is hard to stop there is always some kind of work that needs to be done. So they had to discipline themselves to do it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of sitting on the porch with Brent. And (laughs) I have to tell him to sit and not sweep the porch or trim the hedges or find weeds to pull. They had to stop in the midst of what they were doing to celebrate what God had done for them. And that was the purpose of these festivals, to stop, to give thanks, to celebrate. And the festivals were much more than just, thank you, God, for the harvest. It really was remembering the great story of God and the faithfulness to his people, how they led him through a land, and he provided for them, and he took care of them. They would remember that the first Pentecost was 50 days after God delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. They'd remember the parting of the Red Seas, the miracles, the provisions, all that God had done, they would remember that God gave them the law on tablets of stone to help teach them how to live, to help guide and direct them. So Pentecost to the Jews was not just a day to be thankful for the harvest. It was a day that commemorated what God had done in their lives and his giving of direction to his people. It was, in a sense, this idea of our God has become personal Because he has led us, and he has guided us, and he has provided for us. He is our God. And it was commanded that they keep these festivals. You know, I think it's interesting how God created the world so that some things have rhythm to them. Like the seasons have a rhythm to them. The tide going in and out has a predictable rhythm to them. Not everything, but there are things in our lives that go according to a rhythm. We had the opportunity for Mother's Day to have... um, our sweet little granddaughter, Lucy, with us, who's the cutest kid in the whole world, without doubt. And, and I'm not biased at all. Other people think that. Um, anyway, we had her, and we got to take her to the ocean for the first time. And so we took her down to the ocean, and she talks very, very well for just being two. We took her down to the ocean, and we, we set her in the water, and she was standing there, and the wave came up and hit her legs, and it went back, and it came up and it hit her legs, and she looked up at us, and she went, Guys? What's going on here? <laughs> it was just terribly confusing to her that that was happening. So some things are random and unpredictable, but there's many things that work according to a plan or according to a pattern. And I think God created that because he knows that we do better when we follow a rhythm or we follow a plan. When I have somebody come to see me and they're severely depressed, the first thing I do is I put them on some kind of a schedule. So you get up this time in the morning, you take a shower, you get dressed, you plan this activity and this activity and this activity. Not a rigid, strict kind of thing, but some kind of structure to help get them moving in their lives. All of us do better when we have some type of a a schedule or some type of a structure. Um, Many of you are moms, and you're so excited. It's May, and school is out. 
And you don't have to be in that routine of school every day and all the things that you're doing. Many of you are teachers, too, and going, yay, school is out. But moms, by the time August comes, they start to go, I can't wait to get back into the routine again. This is driving me nuts. And even when I had small kids at home, I found one of the best things to do in the summer, our most productive, or I should say positive summers, were when we had some kind of structure. Even if it was Tuesday is library day and we get groceries. You know, Wednesdays we do the laundry and we have family movie night. We tend to operate best when we have some kind of a structure or some kind of a schedule. With these festivals, God scheduled his people to stop, reflect, and to give thanks because he knows we need to remember everything that he has done. We need to stop and be thankful for the things that he has done. I love it that there tends to be kind of a resurgence of this attitude of being grateful for things or stopping and having gratitude. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag love my life. So even though those have gotten to be a bit cliche on social media, I do think there's something wonderful about us really focusing on gratitude. God knows that we need to be grateful. And actually, studies have shown that our life is more positive. It actually changes our brain chemistry when we focus on being grateful and we focus on being positive. God also knows we need to celebrate. That's one thing I love. He knows how to throw a good party. He knows that we operate, he knows how we operate well enough to know that we can become little worker bees. And we can get so involved in the things that we're doing that we don't stop and really celebrate all that he has done or celebrate life itself and just what he has given us. There was a um, study that came out from the University of California at Sacramento, and it talked about couples that celebrated together. Big things, small things, promotions, the little things of life, couples that celebrated things together were actually closer, had a more satisfying and positive relationship. They had more unity when they took the time to celebrate even the small things of their life. And I think that's true of our church family. I think God calls us as a people to recognize his goodness, to, excuse me, to celebrate life. And that pulls us together in unity with each other. So we're going to jump forward now. I've been looking at these festivals. We're going to jump forward to the book of Acts, that kind of common um, text that we talk about, Pentecost and Acts 2.1. Notice God's timing here. Once again, it's 50 days after the Passover festival, which happened to be in this particular text was the week of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And 40 days later, he would ascend, and then 10 days after that, which is this day, the day of Pentecost, he would send his spirit. But he would not send um, the law written on tablets of stone. He would send this dynamic, powerful law to be written on uh, human hearts. And so it was in a different form. It was, a, it was a, 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 in, a, in a different way. But the first century Jew would have connected the dots. They would have understood what was happening now and what has happened historically in this day of Pentecost. They would have put those two together. So let's look at Acts, Acts 2 and 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So these 120 were all together in one place, in one place. And the Spirit comes and, and touches these 120, and they begin to speak in another tongue. And then all these other people uh, are fascinated with what's going on and are drawn together here. And it says, people from every single nation. And they begin to understand in their own language what's being said. Crazy, crazy thing happening here. It's a little bit like um, the UN you know, we've got somebody up there talking in a language that we don't understand, and we've got headphones on, and there's translators, and, and all of a sudden we're able to understand in that language, but yet there's no headsets, there's no translators. Instant unity in the midst of diversity. They were in unity. Possibly the most important element, I believe, of what Pentecost was all about. Unity. This idea of unity um, is reinforced in Jesus' prayer in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. He was praying previous to that. He knew his time was about to come to an end on earth. And he was praying for his disciples right before this. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is all of us, everybody that's come before us since them, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I think it's possible that one of the main reasons that people don't come to faith in our culture right now is because of how fragmented we are as a church. Can you imagine if you were not raised in the church, if you were totally outside of faith, just driving across Tulsa and looking at all these church signs? And all the different names and all the different expressions and all the, every advertisement that they hear is, well, we have, un, we have unique worship here and we have this and we have that. And can you imagine people going, what? Most recent count, 44,000 Protestant denominations. 44,000. Can you imagine what people must be thinking? What in the world is all of this? Do you all believe some of the same things? Why are you so separated? I just think it causes great confusion in the world. Now, we're not going to fix this whole issue of the fragmentation of the church this morning. But I believe that every time we step into unity with another person, we change the world. I tell every couple that I meet, most every couple that I meet with, when we're talking about trying to blend their unique differences and the idea of oneness, I said, when you come into unity, if you're in conflict with your spouse and you come into unity with them, you have just changed the world. You have just been a part of bringing unity to the world. And so Janice and I have had this really cool opportunity over the years. Uh, there was a season of about a decade um, where we had an opportunity. We did lots of marriage conferences. We traveled quite a bit. And 
And now we didn't, we have not been to every 44,000, every one of those 44,000 denominations. But, but we have had this amazing opportunity. When you go and do marriage conferences, they're not terribly concerned about exactly, you know, what camp you come from theologically. If you're sound in what you talk about in marriage, then they're open to it. And so we've been in just about every major uh, mainline denomination, all kinds of independent churches and Pentecostal and Charismatic and Catholic and Lutheran and Presbyterian. And I just want to tell you, there is something amazing happening in every single one of those. Every one of those are, have wonderful people that are bringing something alive in the kingdom of God. And every time I, I see one of those expressions... I always think, gosh, I wish you could meet these folks over here because you guys are so good at this. I wish you could see how they do this, and I wish they could see you and somehow connect the dots. Unity, I believe, is at the heart of God. It's, it's what the Spirit is about. It's about bringing unity into the world. And now, are there some goofy things going on out there? In, in, in the church, absolutely. Some of you think there's some goofy stuff going on here. Um, absolutely. But I believe that the, the, the heart of this day, the heart of the Spirit of God being released into the world is unity, is binding the body of Christ together. So Jesus went to be with the Father and sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could have his power, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He has given us this power to work in us and to work through us. But it's not so that we can have the spirituality that we somehow think we're better than somebody else or we have all the answers and they don't have the answers. And it's not a spirituality so that we can be so involved in spiritual things but we neglect the things or, or we're not even aware of the things that are going on on earth. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit so that he can work in us and through us and that we can make a difference in the world that we're in. But the misunderstanding of the move of the Spirit has done a lot to divide people, to divide congregations. Where the Spirit brought unity, we can oftentimes see division. I've had a, an interesting spiritual journey. Uh, I was uh, raised since I... Can, can remember in the American Baptist Church in Indiana. That's where I'm from. I was raised in a church that's, uh, I've always known God. I don't remember not knowing him. I still remember um, the missionary that kind of walked me through my faith journey. I remember baptism. I remember those wonderful expressions that happened in my life. And when I got towards college age, um, and I'm not sure still exactly how this happened, but somebody gave me a, a catalog from Oral Roberts University. Now, you have to understand, I didn't even know who Oral Roberts was um, at the time. My one experience with Pentecostal charismatic things was that, that ex previous experience I just told you about when I was 14 years old, and we spent uh, an evening at a Pentecostal church. And, and uh, you know, we talk sometimes how God kind of hides himself a little bit. I think he hid from me a little bit what I was about to step into. And so, because um, I'm not sure if I really knew what I was stepping into that I would have even ever come to ORU. This was back in the, in the early 70s. And so I ended up, and won't go into a long story there, ended up coming to Oral Roberts University 
did not, had not been west of the Mississippi before then, knew nobody in Tulsa, knew nobody at ORU, and uh, stepped in on campus as a college freshman. Now, I love God. I was proud of my faith. And this was, again, in 1974, and particularly in the charismatic Pentecostal world. The main thing that was most people were interested in is do you have it yet? Have you been baptized in the Spirit, and have you experienced tongues? Have you, have, has that happened in your life? And uh, people found out pretty quickly uh, what background I came from, and they were going to get me to get this thing. And uh, so whether it was a little devotional in our, on our floor or whether it was in a bigger setting, I tended to get shuffled out into the middle, <laughs> hands laid on me. And I was going to get this. Oh, it was, it was so confusing. Number one, it made me feel like I was a second-class Christian. I just didn't quite have it. Because I hadn't experienced this, therefore, you know, yeah, you, you have faith, but you don't really have faith. You really don't have the Spirit of God in you. And, and so it caused me to pull back. Um, <laughs> But they came after me. Um, I remember, and it was so confusing. I had people telling me, just hold on, just hold on, just hold on. Let go, let go, let go. I was, do you want me to hold on or let go? Um, I don't know what I was supposed to do here. Oral, Oral was very involved at that time. He talked about this kind of mighty wind that kind of came in your innermost belly and would come up and overtake your tongue. And I was going... Whoa, okay. Uh, I was kind of waiting for something to kind of start happening there. Not a, not a good year. <laughs> and I stayed. i kind of surprised now. I uh, ended up staying, but I found the people to be, for the most part, delightful. Uh, I, I was looking for antenna coming out of the back of their heads, and they didn't have antenna. They were, they, uh, for the most part, they just had this wonderful experience that they wanted me to have. Uh, their delivery system, I, I would have encouraged them to rethink it a little bit. <laughs> and so I came a time, I studied it, I began to understand a little bit more about what this was about and what, these, what the gifts were about. We kind of skipped over them in all of our, in my uh, uh, spiritual upbringing. And I came to a place where I was just saying, oh, God, I, I see, I think I understand some of the reason for this, some of the benefit. I believed I had the Holy Spirit in me. I accepted Christ. I believed he was there. But if there's a way to release that in a greater ways in my life, okay, I'm open to that. But I pleaded with God. I'm telling you, I pleaded with him. Please, isn't there a way for this to happen without me having to be at an altar and in service and somebody trying to you know, bend me over backwards to try to... you know get me to fall out in the spirit so that I would have this experience. Is there, please, another way? And in God's wonderful grace and mercy, um, there was an ex uh, open, after about a year, I was open, and uh, it happened at a moment where nobody else knew what was going on. It was not in an altar. It was not in the service. Nobody had their hands affixed to my forehead, and I felt that release. I felt that happen um, in my life, and I, and I heard this tongue that I didn't know. It didn't make sense to me, and, and something began to happen. won't go again. It's, a, it's kind of a long story, but because of my experience, anytime I have an opportunity to share about this, I want to make sure that you know that, and be very careful about this, that, that all of the giftings of the Holy Spirit are 
of equal in importance and value. If this is not something that you've experienced, don't allow that to ever cause you to pull back or hold back or to feel like that you're somehow a second-class Christian in, in any way. Um, some of you may still experience that in your life, as I did as a 19-year-old, and I'm thankful for it, and some of the things that it's meant in my life and some of the things that daily it does in my life. Um, but all of his gifts are wonderful and unique, and, and so don't let that separate you. He came for unity, the purpose was for unity. When Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 12, we don't have time to go through all the detail of this, and he's outlining the different gifts. He immediately goes on and talks about uh, the body and how all the different parts of the body are, are of importance, and, and an eye and an ear and a hand, and what would we do without, what would the ear do without the eye, and all of those things. And, and he communicates that, and then what does he do? He goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and says, but yet there is a greater way. Then um, the greater way is love, that we can speak in, in the tongues of men and of angels, but if we don't have love. So we need to keep this in proper perspective, um, in, in, in proper understanding. Um, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's something that um, wh- whatever these gifts are, they are for good in our life. I think that's something that I had to come to understand, that it was for life and fullness of life and expression in the world. Um, Actually, one of the things that I begin to love is the, the benefits that I begin to experience in the gift of tongues. I, it was not something that I understood and probably still to this day don't fully understand it. But one of the things that it does for me is that it makes it very clear this is God and not you. You know, I have opportunities to talk with people in counseling office or pastoral care office setting and uh, try to have give some wisdom and some understanding to their circumstances. And it would be very easy for me to think, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of helpful to people. I've got good ideas, and I'm, I'm pretty wise here. And uh, it would just be very easy for me to go there. But when I experience the gift of tongues, it's obvious to me, I, this is not me. These words are not of my origin. This is, this is God. And the cool thing that I've seen, I have... Um, the other really good thing that God has put me um, in a position for that has been very formative in my life is to have to experience lots of different situations that I don't know what to do about them. I don't know the answer. When I went, every time in 33 years of being a, a counselor, I, I think that I've heard it all. Then somebody comes in my office and sits down and tells me a story that I've never heard this before. And that has actually been a huge benefit to me because it causes me to realize I, I don't know what to say right now. I don't know exactly where to go with this person. And that has taken me back to this dependence on God. And one of the cool things that I've seen, and because uh, oftentimes I will just pray in the Spirit quietly. And they'll never know it. And I'm looking for discernment because I came to understand that Romans 8.26 says, in, this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words that cannot, cannot, that words cannot express. So I'm thinking, so I can pray for this person and pray for understanding. In the Spirit of God, the power that created the universe can actually pray a prayer and give me discernment. Sweet. This is great. I don't have to come up with it myself. That, be, that made sense to me. And that oftentimes then was followed with, 
either a word for that person that was a wise word or some understanding of knowledge of their circumstances or some direction. I've heard stuff come out of my mouth and I was like, well, that was good. Where did that come from? I, I need to write that down. We need to put that in a book. Uh, and so oftentimes it's kind of opened up um, some of the other gifts. That's just a way that it's worked um, in my life. Um, the, the, the key that I want to say this morning is um, it's, it's about opening our hearts up to him. It's about saying, what, what do you want to do in and through me? It's not about, and we have to make sure that we do not allow it to separate us from others. If I hear a person, another person say to me, when they're describing a church or somebody saying, well, I go to this church, and somebody says to me, well, are they a spirit-filled church? As if, if they're not somehow in their bylaws a spirit-filled church, they're not as good. I'm going to have a conniption fit if I hear that one more time. Don't allow this to, to separate us um, from others. Uh, if you come to us and you're sick in your body, oftentimes, and you may never know it, we're praying in the Spirit um, under our breath because God knows your body. He formed you and fashioned you. He knows the disease and sickness of what you're dealing with, and he knows exactly how we should pray. It's a wonderful thing, but we have to make sure that it doesn't ever separate us from each other. We believe in all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're part of God coming close to us, having that personal relationship with us, and empowering us in our walk with the Lord. Acts 1.8 shows the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These gifts are so that we can be witnesses of God to those around us. And I wonder if our greatest witness is to be able to cross lines and to cross separations, to be in unity, to be loving and caring and giving to people that are very different than we are. I think these gifts are so that the church can walk inside the church and without the church in unity and love with other people. Remember Jesus' prayer. I pray also for, for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. It can be hard to love people sometimes, can it? There are some people that are really irritating. <laughs> we came home on a plane uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was late at night. And normally, I am like, I understand when babies cry on the plane, and I'm like, bless their heart, that poor mom, I feel for them. But somehow this night, this girl, like three rows up, was talking so loud, telling all these things that happened to her in college, and there was part of me that wanted to go, nobody cares, okay? <laughs> it's hard. There are times that it is hard to be loving to the people that are around us, whether they're strangers or coworkers or whether they're family members. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't have the ability to love anymore, when we feel like I just do not have it, we can call on the power of the Holy Spirit and say, work in me and work through me that I can present you to people around me by my loving words and by my loving actions. Pastor Ed's going to come in just a moment and lead us in communion. Will you, will you stand your feet this morning?
As we leave, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts. Um, would you just stand there and kind of open your hands like this? This is kind of in a place of a receptive place that we come to God. Father, we trust you. We know that you always want to be close to us and that through the power of your spirit sent, thank you that that is a constant daily reminder to us that you are close, that you are in this with us. And Lord, whatever it is that's based on Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary, or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com, or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great Keep us week. from being, uh, allowing your spirit to be fully released in our expression in the world. Lord, we just simply say we want to receive and we are open. However you would do that as a 19-year-old, as I was saying, God, I'm open. I was a little hesitant because I'd heard so many confusing things about it. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But I trusted you. Lord, we trust you. Help us in those moments where we lack trust. We believe, help us in our unbelief. So we receive and desire to receive, and whether that's something that happens in this exact moment or whether it's something that comes to us tomorrow or in the shower on Monday, whatever it is, Lord, we trust you. If you just open your eyes and look at me just for a minute. As we come to communion today, I want you to think of the person that it is most difficult to be in unity with. Who is it the most difficult for you to be in unity with? Whatever that means. And probably that person's face just came to your mind. I want you to do something at communion today. We can't call them up and go get them and bring them, but I want you in essence, in the spirit, uh, I want you to just grab a hold of them. When you walk out in the aisle, just kind of pull them along with you. Come to the table with them. You may not, you may have all got kind of good reasons why you don't feel like you can be in unity with them. They may not be, feel like they're trustworthy. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe their thinking is so contrary to yours that you can't even imagine how they could be a Christian or or maybe they're so far away from, from being a Christian that you somehow feel like you're just supposed to not even be around them. But whatever that is, this table does something in us. It does something through us that we can't do on our own. And so let's just start the process. Bring them with you this morning. And then, finally, what is, what is one thing And as you come to communion, I want you just to be open in your heart about this. What is one step that you could take this next week that could move a little closer um, and bring unity into a relationship? Maybe it's a family member that has really hurt you that you have just chosen not to call for a long time. Maybe it's that phone call. Maybe it's that person at work that just rubs you the wrong way, that just their thoughts are, are
are so off track from yours. Maybe they've even been uh, aggressive towards you and judgmental towards you. Um, maybe it's somebody that thinks different, so differently politically that you just can't, you just can't even imagine um, how they could think the way that they do. And there's been separation there somehow. Well, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but what is one step that you could take? One way that you could move towards them, that you could bless them, that you could love them sacrificially, that you could be a witness to them without handing them a track, but your life would be a witness by how you step towards them in unity. Pastor Ed. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.